Awesome. Morning, church. It's funny that uh, Brenton talked about privilege because uh, this isn't a burden for me. This is a privilege. And uh, thank you for having me and thank you for listening. Um, I'm going to start in James. Could you please turn to James 2, uh, 14, please? Uh, it's uh, faith and deeds. It says, What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. Is one of you who says to him, Go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God. Good, even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodgings to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. So what do we have faith for, you know? I have faith for my family. My mother's over there. I have faith that my father, my brothers and sisters will be there. But nothing will happen unless I put the work in, in my character, you know. And you've got you to talk to your people about, about Christ, you know. It's not going to happen by itself. Uh, please turn to Ephesians 2, 8 to 10. And I'm just going to keep it moving. So, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from ourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So, in Ephesians it says, we are not saved by works. Works don't make us righteous before God. We have been saved by grace, through faith, and none of us can boast. In James, I believe James is saying that our faith in Christ is demonstrated by our good works. We are not saved by the works. Works are the byproduct and the evidence of the salvation, of the faith. You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And that's what he's talking about, Abraham. Please turn to Matthew seven seventeen and 20. Jesus is talking about uh, fruit and trees and stuff. Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus by their fruit you will recognise them. 
So I'm a pretty practical person. I thought, well, how do I bear good fruit and how do I do good works? I like James and I like what Jesus is saying. John 15 verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in him will bear much fruit. Without me, you can do nothing. So I think that there is the answer. If we remain in Christ, we will bear much fruit. So now I've got another question. How do we remain in Christ? Through reading the Bible, through prayer, through church community and fellowship, and by being obedient to him. You don't have to turn there, but in Samuel 17, 22, when Samuel was talking to Saul and Saul disobeyed God, he said, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. So that asks is another question. How do we hear God's word and how do we obey it? Our lives must be built on relationship with him. We have to be getting into the word and we have to be getting into prayer. And we have to be getting around other people that are passionate about it. I've got a bit of a story. I was at the gym and I was on the treadmill and this guy came into the gym and he's friends with my brothers. He's sort of an acquaintance. He's about four years younger than me and... He just started pouring out his heart to me, talking about broken relationships and depression and whatnot. And at the gym, I'm trying to train. I'm trying to be a bit standoffish. I'm not smiling at people. So for someone to come up and talk to me, I'm like, okay, this is a bit weird. And um, I heard that little voice to invite him to church. And I, I guess pretty much I disobeyed it. I was scared. I thought... He'll be freaked out by some of you guys. He'll be freaked out by some of, the, some of the speaking in tongues and the prophesying and whatnot. But you know what, church? That's not, my, that's not my job. I was told to invite him to church. I'm meant to be obedient. I was not obedient. It's not my job to know the whole plan. And often in my own life, you know, I got to spend some time with Francis and, and, and you know, Josh with his street missionary. And, you know, listening to Francis... Half the stuff he says, I don't know what he's talking about, but he's passionate and he loves Papua New Guinea and Josh has got his missionary and sometimes I feel like I don't really know what my niche is, but if God come to me and laid out the whole master plan, how is that faith? That's not faith. And for a long time I was obedient, you know, I would come to church and Pastor Ben would preach and he would do the salvation prayer. And deep down, that voice was saying, hey, man, put your hand up. Like, let's do this. And I kept telling myself, I'm not ready. You know, I'm, I don't want to pretend to be a Christian and live in sin. I don't want to be lukewarm. But, um, you know, in a lot of ways, I was like Jonah. I was running away from what God wanted me to do. But you can't run from him. And to be honest with you, it, uh, it scares me a lot to think about what he wants from me. Um, I've been sacrificing and I know I will have to sacrifice a lot more but oftentimes what you're scared of is what you should what you should push into. Scare is uh, fear like you know healthy fear is a good indication that you're on the right track and I need a change in my life and nothing changes if nothing changes. I want to do good work and I want to bear good fruit. I don't have it all figured out that's for sure. But I have faith in Christ. And in this season of my life, I've just been saying yes to everything. 
That's actually how I got asked to do this because you don't want to talk too much around Ben because he will call you out on your stuff, you know. You know, there's a lot happening in this church and I don't want to stand back and let it pass me by. And I encourage you guys too, you know, get involved, get around it. I'd just like to thank Pastor Ben for inviting me to speak and I'd like to thank you all for listening. Have a good night. Thanks, Dan. Alrighty. Um, an army has two postures, either advance or retreat, take territory or lose territory. You cannot assume a neutral position. That isn't the purpose of an army. A position of retreat won't advance the kingdom or take up new territory. Much like an army, the body of Christ has two postures, advance or retreat, take territory or lose territory. Are you prepared for the season to come? Ephesians 6:13 to 17 says, "Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor, so you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil." Then after the battle, you'll still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armour of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you'll be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. God has given us the complete armour of God to resist the enemy. He has given us the complete arsenal and hasn't spared anything. The belt of truth, the body armour of God's righteousness, shoes, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation and to take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. I want you to understand something about the armour of God. The majority of God's armour is defensive armour. It's to prevent us as Christians from the attacks of the enemy. We don't enter the battlefield without it. But there is only one offensive weapon in the armour of God, which is the sword of the Spirit or the Word of God. If you're not in the Word of God, are we heading into the battlefield with our sword sheathed? Let's visit the story of David and Goliath. Goliath was a beast of a man. It says he was over nine foot tall 275 centimetres, or just a touch under three metres. Goliath taunted the Israelites for 40 days and nights, looking for a worthy opponent. When Goliath shouted his taunts, the Israelites were terrified and deeply shaken. David, a small shepherd boy, bringing supplies to the Israelites, hears the taunts from Goliath and responds differently because David knows where his identity lies. Who is this Philistine anyway that he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God? David said to Saul, The Lord has rescued me from the lion and the bear, and he'll rescue me from this Philistine called Goliath. 1 Samuel 17, 48-51 says, As Goliath moved closer to attack, David ran quickly out to meet him. Reaching into his shepherd's bag and taking out a stone, he hurled it with his sling and hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in, and Goliath stumbled and fell face down on the ground. So David 
triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone, for he had no sword. Then David ran over and pulled Goliath's sword from its sheath. David used it to kill him and cut off his head. This was a defining moment in David's life. Notice how David never uses a sling and stone to slay his enemy from this day forth. David struck Goliath in the forehead with a stone and then David picked up the weapon of his enemy to kill him. The very weapon that was meant to kill David, David used against the enemy. David used this weapon against the enemy and caused havoc with it from this time forth. How many of us in the Christian life, after the Lord's removed the Goliaths in our lives, after we've passed through the valley and he's given us the victory, but we're still reaching for the sling and stones instead of the sword to do battle in the next season? Let me tell you something. What got us here won't get us to where we need to go. What you used in the past will not get you to where you're going. The Lord's given you, given you the new weapon. You've entered a new season. It may require a bit of training to use it. It might be a little more heavier to what you're used to carrying. But it's easier to pick up what's worked in the past. It's easier to cling to what we know is safe. It's not easy picking up something that's heavier. It's not easy taking on that responsibility. But no growth comes from the comfort zone. In the Christian life, there are seasons of retreat and seasons of attack. Some of us may be going through a season of retreat right now. I don't know what that may look like for you. Maybe it's financial difficulty. Maybe it's a relationship issue. It could be the doctor's report. There might be a situation you're going through right now where you feel like, God, nobody could understand my situation. Whatever it might be, it's not designed to defeat you. It's not designed to clothe you with a victim mentality to the world. It's not designed for your identity to become any less than it should be in Christ Jesus. The Lord doesn't want your situation to define you. The enemy does. He wants to keep you there. He wants to, you to believe the lies. He wants to reduce you to all that you are in Christ. He wants to spit in your face. The enemy wants to keep you away from the word of God and distract you and keep you from walking in your identity in Christ. Philippians 4.13 says, For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. There was a period in my life where I went through a season of retreat. There wasn't much else I could do but reach for the Bible. The events around me were out of my control. There wasn't a lot I could do but reach for the word of God. When you get to that place and you're desperate or hungry, God says, yeah, I can use you now. Yeah. Out of that period of my life, I never chewed through so much as the Bible as I did through in that season. It didn't change my situation around me, but it changed my perspective and how I responded to it. I needed it more than anything. In those moments, it matters what you're letting in. It matters what you choose to build your foundation on. If you're in a situation like that today, take heart. Desperate people are hungry people. And the Lord's offering his hand to strengthen your foundation. 
You can reach for vices. You can go to people for their opinion on where to next. You can ask Google. You can analyse it and reanalyse it. You can take it anywhere but to God and he'll let you. But the truth is what you're seeking is in him. Your identity is in him. You're a son or daughter of the Most High. You're a royal priesthood. If your identity comes from people, it'll die with people. You can people please or you can serve God. When we look at the life of David, when David was out tending to the sheep and goats, God was preparing him for Goliath. When the Israelite army stood in fear facing Goliath, David stood firm in his identity. When Goliath shouted his taunts to the Israelites, David was faced with a choice, attack or retreat. There are seasons of retreat in the Christian life, but knowing God is the perfect father he is, he has not designed you for you to live there. You weren't destined to pitch a tent in an enemy's warpath. It matters what you do in the seasons of retreat and what you'll put into your foundation for it will set you up for the seasons of attack. So church, as we start the year of 2024, I pose the question to you. Will this be the year for attack or retreat? Your posture is your decision. Morning. Before I get started, um, there wasn't any instruction from Ben. There wasn't any topic or I want you to talk on this or I want you to preach on this. It was, I want you to share your heart. And I know that God, when he brings two or three together and they share the same verse, that he's trying to say something. So some of the verses that I'm also talking about are the same as Kurt as well. So with three people coming together with the same verses, God's, God is here and he is moving. Okay, so I'm starting in James chapter 1, verse 3. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. At the beginning of a new year, there is a lot of emotions, some excited, anxious, joyful, hopeful, nervous, happy, and sad. All of those things that are linked to questions we have for our own lives and for those of the lives of our loved ones. Questions such as, what does this year hold for me? What does this year hold for you? What does this year hold for us? Where is God taking me this year? Where is God taking my family this year? What is he asking of me? What is he calling me to do? Most people I have talked to, they seem excited and joyful, filled with anticipation of what the Lord holds for them. I've also sat with some people who are anxious about the beginning of the year. They are feelings of hesitantness and nervousness, anxiousness, 
sad, overwhelmed, stressed. But God is in control. Emotions in the heart will lie to you. So whatever they are and whatever the emotion is, know that it's the humanness and God is in control. So it doesn't matter how you feel. He says this, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call me, call on me, and I will and pray to me, and I will listen to you. Jeremiah twenty nine. That's eleven and twelve. Verse thirteen goes on. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. You are here today, in this time, in this season. For he has called you for such a time as this. Today looks very different than it did 40 years ago. Now, I'm not quite 40, so I don't know what it looked like, but I know that it was slow-paced. From the people that I talk to of my parents' generation and my grandparents' generation is that it was different. It was quiet, it was slower-paced, Usually one working in the home and the other working in the, out, in the, out of the home. So usually the wife would stay at home mothering the children and the other would work outside of the home. Today, we are busy, busy, rush, rush, overbooked calendars, double booked appointments, errands, tasks, obligations, meetings, hospital appointments, and then everything that school brings with children. The list goes on. Because of this never-ending to-do list and busyness, we have become an injured body. As soon as we focus on any one thing and start to feel good about it, 10 other aspects of our lives have sprung a leak. And they start to suffer. It's tough. We all wear many hats. Um, Some of us, many more than one. So we are daughters and sisters and mothers, sons, Brothers, fathers, uncles, aunties, grandparents, wives and husbands, friends and neighbours. But God is in control. What we need to do and what God frees us to do if we cooperate with him is to increase our capacity. You did hear me right. I did say increase. Um, I know that sounds crazy when I said that we are busier than ever, but you did hear correctly. I said increase. To take a whole life approach, a full life approach. This keeps everything moving in a faithful direction so that one area of growth will bleed naturally into all of the other areas of your life. Hebrews 5, 7 and, uh, chapter 5, verse 7 and 8 says, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Verse 8 goes on to say, son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And one made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. When we feel injured, we stra- uh, when we feel injured, we need to stretch. We are a broken people, prone to injury. Instead of people's hurtful comments, 
rolling off our backs and dropping powerless to the ground, we bristle up and we allow them to have power over us. This is why we need to stretch. This is why God is the only one that can say who we are. If we don't stretch, we will have no capacity to feel for others and their needs or injustices. We will be sidelined with our own aches and pains, unable to care, unable to serve the Lord. But like with a physical injury, the discipline of stretching decreases our inflammation and decreases the pain. Stretching is hard. It takes some of the pressure off and it eases some of that tenderness that makes us so easy to wound. It limbers us and keeps us from feeling unnecessary aggravation. We must keep stretching spiritually, not just physically stretching. We need to intentionally and consistently reach, stretch and grow towards God's best for us and those, uh, those around us. He deserves our best. The danger if we don't, we will harden over time. Our hearts will harden. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and 10 says this, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him. Who called you out of the darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. I have a question for you. When you consider your level of willingness to give of yourself, your time, does it reveal more contentment or discontentment residing in your heart? Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says this, For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which, he, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Faithfulness is born out of discomfort. It is the fortification that enables you to stay in flight no matter the amount of discomfort. Stretching is hard. Stretching is painful. Stretching is necessary. Can I encourage you today to stretch towards Jesus and grow in your faith? Jesus is bigger. He is bigger than any emotion, than any workplace, than any hospital, than any school, than any relationship. Jesus knows you. He calls you by name. This year, I was goal setting, like many at the beginning of the year, spending time with Jesus in the secret place. As I was reading the word, God highlighted some areas in my, in my life that needed attention. It was hard. It was painful. It was uncomfortable. I have been stretching, leaning in, and it hurts. But it's necessary. It also requires action and to seek more of him, more of Jesus. If God highlights something in your life, what do you do? How do you respond? Would you write it down, maybe pray, or would you spring into action to fix, change, resolve 
that issue. That's something that Jesus had highlighted in your life, in your kids' lives, in your head, in your marriage, in your family, and in your relationships. Would it be different if instead of it was highlighted to you in quiet time, that it was actually Jesus standing face to face with you? And he said, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? Why did you say that? We are broken people who fall short. This is why we need Jesus. We need saving and Jesus is our saviour. He is the only way. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. It is not that we think we are qualified to do anything on our own. Our qualification comes from God. He has enabled us to be ministers of his new covenant. This is a covenant not of written laws, but of the Spirit. The old written, co- the old written covenant ends in death, but under the new covenant, the Spirit gives life. Gives life. Seek him and you will find him. Jesus loves you. Jesus wants you to take action. He wants you to be his hands and feet, to be his mouthpiece, to step out in faith, whatever that might look like in your situation. Be who he has called you to be and do what he has called you to do. I have a last verse for you, Romans 10, verse 9 and 10. If you, openly declare the, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you have made right with God. And, if it is, and it is open, by openly declaring that your faith, you have been saved. So can I ask that if you haven't made a decision to take Jesus into your heart, to acknowledge him as your Lord and Saviour, I ask that you think about this and think about that it's the biggest decision that anyone can ever make. I ask if anyone can close their eyes and bow their heads, please. So if there is anyone here today that has decided that today is the day that they get to make the choice that Jesus comes into their life, I'm offering a call of salvation, the salvation that we can do and choose Jesus today. It changed my life and it changed my life immediately. So I want to offer that gift to anyone that hasn't made that decision today. While every head is bowed, just raise your hand if it is something that you want to do today. We're all going to say together, thank you. I see that hand. Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. Please forgive me of my sins. I believe that you died on the cross and paid my debt. I believe that you rose from the dead and conquered death. By the power of the Holy Spirit, please come into my heart. I declare you, Jesus, as Lord over my life. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Amen.
How good was that? Why don't we give all three of them a big hand again? And yes, what Kylie said was true, the fact that I did not give any instructions about a theme, but I really believe that as the three of the people spoke this morning, that there was a major theme coming through, and that was that we can't sit on the sidelines. Whatever the Lord is saying to us, we have to put legs to what He's saying. And so I encourage you this morning, as we set off into 2024, this new year, what is the Lord saying to you? How can you partner with him to see that become a reality? And um, we're going to close the meeting now. You're welcome to stay for a coffee in the cafe. But what we're going to do is we're going to open the front up. If you would like prayer for anything, maybe there's something that you heard this morning and you're like, hey, I need somebody to stand with me as I make these decisions for this year of 2024. I'm going to invite Dan, Kylie, And Kurt, if they would come and pray this morning, because what we're believing is that there's something on their life that is going to impact you. And as we agree together this morning, we're going to believe for many people's lives to make decisions, to be changed, that you could too stand up and just testify about the goodness of God. Amen. We're going to close the meeting now. And if you want prayer for anything, we just invite you to come up now. And the guys will get around and pray for you.